It's good to be back with you. And uh, Pastor Joe is uh, going to be returning soon enough, I promise you. You're not stuck with me, but I am happy to be here with you today. I'm excited about the message that I'm going to share with you. It's something that uh, means a whole lot to me uh, and I hope is going to mean a whole lot to you. It does, whether uh, it, you're going to feel it as much today or some other time, it's going to mean a lot because it's the Word of God. With that being said, I want to uh, encourage you to turn in a Bible to Galatians chapter 5 with me. Galatians chapter 5 is the passage that we're going to read. And what I want to talk with you about today is guarding your freedom. Guarding your freedom. You know, Melissa, just a couple of minutes ago, was talking about the freedom that we have in Jesus. And how we, as we follow him in uh, baptism, it's a sign, it's an outward sign that inwardly something has happened. We have received his forgiveness and his death and burial and resurrection is, is uh, active in our lives. We've placed our faith in that and, and it's changed us and we're now walking in a newness of life with Jesus. And so uh, that is a very meaningful thing and if you've never been baptized, I hope that you will be. But the thing that I want to encourage you with today is that we receive forgiveness through faith in Jesus, but there's something that's, I think, equally important that we need to hear in the church, and that is this. You know, meeting Jesus is awesome. It's life-changing, most important thing in the world. But learning how to walk with Jesus and how to live this Christian life is absolutely vital and important, and I'm very thankful today to tell you that we have help. We have constant help. God did not bring us into the family. He did not adopt us into his family and then pat us on the back and say, go find some people to help you. Good luck. I'll see you on the other side. That's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is that God begins this thing and then God actually helps us to flesh it out. In the first four chapters of the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul is writing to people that he loves dearly. He's their first pastor. He's their spiritual father. And he's writing to them basically a word of caution. He's saying, listen, you know me. I came and I preached the gospel to you that you cannot find forgiveness or spiritual freedom through your works. You find it through Jesus. That's what I delivered to you. And you believe that. Many of you did anyway. And he says, and I don't want you to turn away from that. Now, there are people that are coming around now and they're they're trying to sell you something different, a different message. They're wanting you to buy into that. Don't. That's what he's saying to them. And he does that for about four chapters. And then we get to Galatians chapter 5. Now, we're going to read a lengthier passage what I'm, than, than I'm typically comfortable reading in a uh, congregation. So I'm going to ask you to do your best uh, with me to read this. We're going to read the whole chapter. All right? You ready to go to work? Yes, I, pre I preach better if you're with me. So Galatians 5, beginning in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But 
by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith working itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go, go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Exclamation point. Pause right there for a second. How many of you are surprised that Paul just saying what he just said? That doesn't sound very Christian, does it? Verse 13. He's very agitated because they're bringing a false doctrine in. He says, you, my brothers, you were called to be free. Do not, let your, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. So let's talk about guarding our freedom. The Apostle Paul sees his friends being sold a bill of goods, sold an idea, a system that isn't true and is in fact deadly. Some have already bought into it. Some are at the negotiating table wondering whether or not they're going to buy into it. How many of you have ever made a bad trade, a poor exchange, and you regretted it? I know that I sure have. I one time had a Honda Accord that was gifted to me. It was only a couple of years old, completely paid for. Paid for Honda Accord. That car was a 1993. It's probably still going around East Tennessee today with about 4 million miles on it. That's the way Honda Accords work, and you know that. But, you know, I had it a couple of years. I got married, and, you know, I had a real job. I was a youth pastor. I was rolling in the dough. And, um, and so as I was 
you know, going about life, all of a sudden I'm, I'm you know, I need to trade in this car. I, after all, I'd had it two long years. And it was falling apart. My driver's side door, the motor in there was kind of going bad, so it, was, it wouldn't even go all the way up. Sometimes I'd have to push it. And that, that was going to cost like $200. If I'm going to spend $200 to get that fixed, might as well get a new car, right? It's perfectly logical. But that was my mind at that time, my mid-20s. I go in, I buy the new car. I bought an Eagle Vision. Have you ever even heard of an Eagle Vision? Yeah. I called my dad afterwards. I was like, Dad, I think I made a bad move. I told him what I did. He said, yeah, that was a bad move. You know what I should have done was call my dad while I was at the negotiating table telling him what the salesman was trying to sell me. And my dad would have then said, son, get up, walk away. As a matter of fact, run. Run. You're too gullible. You, you, you're going to regret this. But I didn't. I didn't have a cell phone back then. I just went on, I bought it, and lived with regret later. I just want you to know that that was one little funny story about a bad trade. But I want you to know something. To trade what Jesus has given in, in, in forgiveness and freedom and the gospel for legalism and trying to keep the law... That's much worse than a bad trade with a car. It's terrible. As a matter of fact, the consequences are deadly. Because the fact of the matter is, the only way we can be set free and fully forgiven is through faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus has already done the work. And that's what the Apostle Paul has taught them in those first four chapters. And look at verse 5, or excuse me, verse 1 in chapter 5 again. He says, stand firm, therefore, and do not let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, stand firm, there, therefore. Do not budge. Somebody's trying to sell you something, but you've, you've got a good thing. You've heard a good thing. Even if you weren't convinced on it, you've heard the truth. Don't buy into that because that's not true. See, these Judaizers were telling them, Jesus is good, but you have to add to Jesus the Old Testament law, the ceremonial and the moral law, the hundreds of commandments and the traditions of men. They're trying to tell them, you got to add that to your faith in order to really find forgiveness and freedom and peace with God. In fact, that was a lie. That word there, yoke of slavery, the word yoke is, is for those of you that are farmers, you probably know this, those of you that have been around church for a while, a yoke was something laid across the shoulders of a beast of burden while it was plowing the field, whether it's a horse, a mule, an ox, whatever, and, and it's doing work, and it's, it's not fun, it's not light, it's not easy. That, those animals didn't ask to be out there. Their owners put them out there. They have to do the work, and they get tired. The yoke of slavery is what legalism gives. The yoke of slavery is what when we try to accomplish in our own merit what only Christ could accomplish for us, that's what it becomes, a yoke of slavery. And so here's what Paul says to them. Don't make that exchange. It's a bad one. Terrible consequences. It's a yoke of slavery. Jesus saw the Jewish crowd in his day when he came, Matthew chapter 11. You could look this up on your own time. Jesus looks out at a crowd that, that's already been burdened down by the commandments and the traditions of men. And as he looks at them, he, he's burdened for them. And he ultimately says this to them. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. He says, come to me. 
come to me because he's looking at them and they're looking tired they're looking burdened they're not looking like the people of God with freedom and hope no matter what they're not looking like God's children they're looking worn out hopeless in despair Jesus says come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light can somebody say amen you see what Paul is saying is he's saying don't go under that yoke of slavery as a matter of fact don't leave Jesus and go to any other yoke because anything is going to be a yoke of slavery as compared to what Jesus gives because everything else is going to fail Everything else is going to get heavy. It's not going to work. It's not going to produce. And you're going to be tired and exhausted and wondering why it's not helping. Specifically here, he's talking about the law. But the reality is, is he's saying the way Jesus calls us is he says, lay all that down. He looks at the people and he says, come to me. Come to me and I'll do the work. I'll lift the heavy load. I'll do it all. You just come to me, you get up under the yoke, you follow me, you attach yourself to me, then I will make sure that the work that gives you forgiveness and freedom is done. You don't have to do it, you just have to come with me. Thank God that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus lived a life I couldn't live, nor could you. Jesus died to death, I should have died. And so should you have died for your own sin. Jesus did that, and he shed his blood that it would be a sacrifice for us. And he went to the Father after rising from the grave, and he presented that blood as the high priest. And he put it there, and the Father was satisfied. <laughs> the work is finished. It is done. That's the gospel. What we could not do for ourselves Christ has done for us. That message is what sets us free. Somebody say amen. Well, here's what I want you to know. Once we get set free, we then have to learn how to stay free. There's a foundational truth that helps us learn how to stay free, to walk in freedom. How many of you know that when you become a Christian, in some sense, it's like, man, it's, it's, it's a new birth, and it's great. But the reality is it's, it's also the beginning of a new struggle because you're having to learn how to live all over again. I had a friend one time who met the Lord later in life, and, and he would mess up occasionally. And one day he comes to me, and he just says, Hey, Ed, I just want you to know, man, this Christian life isn't that easy, is it? I said, What do you mean? He said, I lived by my own set of rules for about 35 years. I've been doing this for about three years. I'm wondering if I'm ever going to figure this thing out. You see, what he was doing was learning how to walk in freedom. But thank God he didn't have to do it on his own power and by his own strength. You see, we trust in Jesus to set us free. That work is finished. We trust in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to keep us free. To sustain our freedom is not something you and I have to do in our own power. And I want to I just show you some ways that the Holy Spirit helps us. We trust not in ourselves to keep ourselves free, but we trust in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. 
Let me show you some ways the Holy Spirit helps us live this freedom and enjoy this freedom. How many of you would like a little help with enjoying the freedom that you have? Because here's the reality, and the reason this message means a lot to me is because if I'm being very honest, sometimes though I'm a Christian and I know that I'm forgiven, I don't feel that free. I tell you, I don't know if it's because I'm a, I'm a pastor to pastors now, but even when I was a pastor, man, I used to feel like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. You know, I got I to gotta be this and be that. There's one yoke for another. It seems like it was always changing. When I first met the Lord, you know, it was like, it was great. It was, you know, it was kind of all shiny and new, you know, and it, this was great. And, and my... My victories then was that I would go a day without like blowing my cool and using a whole bunch of language. <laughs> that was my native language. I don't mean hillbilly either. I mean a, another kind, a bad language. And, and I, without using that or without doing something dumb, or, or I'll go, I won't even go into that. I'll spare you the details. Those were the early victories. Man, I, I was like, I have to shake all that off. I've got these chains on me from my former life, and I don't want to trip up in those things. And every day that I, I went on, and I was, I was free. I, I was free. By the grace of God, I found freedom. And, you know, I thought, man, you, I'm a, I'll be a good Christian when I'm, not wake, when I'm not tempted to do those old things. Wow, I got to tell you, that was much easier than some of the stuff I've struggled with later on. You see, early on, it was like not doing those things. Later on, now, it's like I have this performance trap mentality that I have to do other things. And the things that I ought to be doing as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, those things, just as a Christian, I ought to be better. Sometimes I don't feel like I've disqualified myself from ministry, but I certainly feel unqualified. I always love it when you go to church and somebody's like, oh, I was tempted, I was tempted, and I feel terrible. And I'm like, oh, I did it. <laughs> and I feel terrible too. Can we just take the mask off, the church mask, for a minute? Freedom is something that's always, always that we have to be on guard for. And here are the ways that we do this. We trust the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit began something in us when we, when we, were, we were made new. We saw Jesus as appealing, and, and we, at some point in our lives, whether as a child or as an adult like me, we see God, and we see Him through Jesus, and we, we turn from sin, we turn to Christ, and, and then we call Him Abba, Father. We know we're in the family. But on top of that, we build it. We develop that relationship. We invest in it. We understand it a little bit more. We grow in it. And I don't have a lot of time. That's a whole other sermon. But let me just show you a few ways quickly that the Holy Spirit helps us to experience this freedom. You go on down, verses 2 through 4. He says, it's either Christ or you. It's either Christ or the law. If you're going to choose the law, if you're going to go that way, you're going to be circumcised. Ultimately, what that is expressing is that you're trying to save yourself. And if you're trying to save yourself, Christ is no advantage to you. And by saying you've fallen away from grace, what he's saying is, is evidently your decision, your decision making, you were, you were weighing Christ, but now it seems like you're going away. Practically speaking, and I, I can even tell you, it's not just a once and done thing. It's a constant thing. 
I want to choose Christ. I want to choose Christ. It's not about me and what I can do. It's about what Christ and he's done, and it's about what the Holy Spirit is doing. So here's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Verse 5, but by faith, in contrast to those who are trying to save themselves, by faith, we, those of us who are trusting Christ, we, we eagerly wait through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. If you're trying to find righteousness and forgiveness and freedom through your work, you're doing it with a lot of fear attached. There may be an element, a string of hope in there, but largely you live under fear. You live with no assurance. But when the Holy Spirit is active in you, what you do is you wait with the help of the Holy Spirit, recognizing I am imperfect. We're an imperfect people. But here's the news. He who has begun a good work in us will continue this work until the day of Jesus Christ. What God has begun in us, he will perform. When we see him, we will finally, thank God, no longer be struggling with these same sins. These same struggles will be over. We will be like Christ. The sin that pulls us down and the law that condemns, condemns us and tells us we're guilty, there's no need for it because we are righteous in Christ. There is nothing on earth or under earth that can stop the power of God. And God has said he will do this. Can someone say amen? Our trust when the Holy Spirit is filling us and when we're living in Him is not in ourselves and what we do. It's in saying, I believe in the power of God. I do not believe in the power of Eddie. I do not trust me, but I trust Him. He was good enough to, to start this work and I am absolutely confident, though I've had some rough days, He will see me safely through to the other side. Can you, can you testify to that? In other words, I may be down on Tuesday, but guess what? That doesn't mean I have to stay down Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That means that I can get back up because I know if the Holy Spirit is with me, He's helping me every step of the way. I'm not doing this on my own. I'm doing it with His help. I'm waiting for Him to finish it, and I'm walking with Him, looking for Jesus to come back. A second way the Holy Spirit helps us is he helps us be hope, uh, hopeful and focused. When it says in verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Excuse me, the Holy Spirit helps us live a life marked by love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This is why I read the whole chapter. Here's what I want you to get. We read this, and we read it in chapters, and we read it in verses, and Galatians is not easy to understand. But the reality is this was just a letter from one man to some people he cared for. And what he was saying to them is, is essentially this. When you're part of God's family, you have God's heart. And, and as, as you develop that relationship, you start to even have the mind of Christ. And we get that through his word and by the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the help of the church. We, we grow in that. And the evidence of that, the primary evidence of that is not just the keeping of commandments. It's not a dogged determination to do that. It's love. As a matter of fact, Jesus started this radical, revolutionary thing when he says in Matthew chapter 22, a guy comes up and tries to catch him. 
And he says, Jesus, what's the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus says, the first commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And he says, and the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. You see, Jesus basically says, the law is wrapped up in these two commandments. That's why it's not about becoming Jewish if you're a Gentile. Circumcision makes no difference. It doesn't add to this. It's about loving God, and it's about loving people. And this is why later on, down in Galatians chapter 5, he says the entire law, verse 14, is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on and he talks a little bit more about that. He says a couple of other things that show us how the Holy Spirit helps us. A third way is the Holy Spirit helps us overcome our sinful and selfish desires. Look at verse 19. He says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. I'm not going to lead the whole list again. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry. He talks about everything. It seems like they're uh, bursts of rage. How many of you, when you read that, you're like, oh man, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. Because driving around here can really test that. Every mom on Mother's Day can say, that's really tested with me and my kids. Every one of us, you know, you look at this stuff, and I used to look at that and I used to think, don't do these things because if you do these things, this is, you're not going to heaven. It's like, don't do that, you got a good shot. If you do that, there's no hope for you. I just want you to read in context, that's not what Paul's saying. You see, when you read that list, here's what you find. Number one, those things in and of themselves, they hurt the person who's, who's experiencing those things, who's feeling those things, who, are, who acts on those things, those fits of rage, sexual immorality, all these different kind of things. The person involved, it hurts them. It's less than what God wants. But I'll say this also. There's also, in every one of those words, there's someone else on the other side of that who gets hurt. Every single one of those. The person who's doing it, who's committing that sin is hurt. And on the other side of that, there's someone else. So if you're young and you're single or you're middle-aged or you're old and you're single, you look at someone else, you think, whoa. You don't lust and you don't think sexual immorality. Why? Because that's your brother or your sister in Christ. You don't want to cause them to sin. You want to cause them to do the right thing. Why? Because God loves you and God loves them. And God working in you will want you to love them with the love of God. The people that are on their way to heaven with a God who loves infinitely and perfectly has some sense of the love of God in them. And the people who have the love of God in them, they just don't do these things. So the people who make a life out of doing those things, they're not on their way there. As a matter of fact, if they got to heaven and they live life doing those things, heaven would be hell. Because it's going to be so pristine and so filled with love. I want you to know something. The reason that stuff is there is because it's contrary to love. But that points us to the fourth way that the Holy Spirit helps us. We may be tempted to do those things that I just listed to you, but we don't because the Holy Spirit has changed our want to. He has changed our desires. He makes us want to be someone different. And that takes us to the fruit of the Spirit. We choose the Spirit and not the flesh. We choose to live for God and not for self. See, that's what God does. He doesn't say, I'm going to take all your temptations away. 
He says, I'm going to give you new desires and, and I'm going to give you the power to help you choose that desire. And in choosing those desires and, and walking in relationship with him, we have fruit that comes off of our life. Love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness. If you put all that together, who does that sound like? I'll just stand here. It's an awkward silence. I give you that. It's Jesus. I wish somebody could say, that sounds like you. You might if you went by my Sunday morning routine, but not through the week. You see, the reality is, is that's not for us to produce. Those kind of things are for the Holy Spirit to produce. The Holy Spirit is doing something in us to bring us not only forgiveness, but freedom. He gives us power to draw close to Christ and to glorify God. He gives us power to, to love people with the love of God. He gives us power to overcome temptation. He gives us power to set our eyes on the love of Christ. And then when we do blow it, we get back up. He is our performance-enhancing uh, helper with us. He is our spiritual steroid. We get broken down sometimes, but we get back up. Thank God for him. And he makes us what we are not. He makes us like Christ. No matter what's going on out here, there's something qualitatively different about the believer who's walking with the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness. We live in a divided, angry world. I don't even like watching the news anymore. I read it. I'm like, I get anxiety just turning it on for five minutes. But I read it all the time. But I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit working in us, he makes us something different qualitatively so. There was a, the, the blackout of the Northeast back in 2003. And a, I heard a preacher one time talking about how he went, had a hotel across from JFK Airport. He said it was purely dark. And he said, I needed food. I needed to experience something. And there was nowhere for me to experience it. And he said, I looked across the road. There's another hotel across the road. He said, and everything in that hotel is bright. He said, I look all around and everywhere up and down the street, it's dark. And this one hotel has lights on. It looks like people are walking around. He said, and as, as I looked over there, I thought, I got to get to that hotel. I got to eat. I got to wait for the power to come back on. I got to go over there. He says, I, went, I, I, I go over there. I go in. Everybody's eating, drinking, being merry, whatever he said. He says, everybody over there is just going on like normal. He says, and why? He says, because there's a generator there that's actually powered for moments like these. They hope it never comes, but that generator keeps the whole thing going. Even if the power all around it goes down and everything becomes dark, the reality is, is that generator works from the inside so that no matter what's going on on the outside, it doesn't affect the people staying in that hotel. And I just want you to know that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be what we are not. No matter how dark it is around us, no matter what we feel like, no matter of the circumstances going on, the Holy Spirit is at work in us to give us life and joy and peace and freedom, no matter what's happening out here. Those are the ways the Holy Spirit helps us. And I hope you're experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. He applies the forgiveness Jesus bought for us, but he also applies the power to enjoy it. Amen? I'm closing with this. Everybody put your hands out if you can. In the first service, for some reason, my hands were shaking so bad. I don't know if I was nervous or what. But 
sometimes I just want you to know you feel burdened down, you feel beaten down, you feel heavy, you feel like you don't measure up. Sometimes you got to lay that down. And spiritually speaking, lay it down. Maybe even now, you got stuff burdening you, fear, anger, unforgiveness, lay it down. And then you turn your hand up and you say, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the power to be who I'm not, to be more like Jesus. And help me to remember that no matter how weak and how imperfect I am, I am confident that you will finish what you've begun in me. So today, help me to live that, Lord. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this time together in your word. Set everybody in here free through the power of Jesus, the work of Jesus, through our trust in the Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.